So today, we're going to wrap up the series on the importance of developing the divine nature. If you'd stand with me to read the word. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8. His divine power has granted to us all of the things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, for by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we just praise you today. We thank you for all the things that you're doing in our lives. Uh, We just want to open up our ears. We want to open up our hearts to how you're moving in our lives, how you're going to begin to change us, and we want to walk out different than the way we came in today. So God, we just ask that you do something new in us, that you uh, push us in a new direction, and we just give you all that praise in your name. Amen. Welcome this morning. It's good to see every one of you. Have you ever uh, heard a, a bad excuse? Somebody give you an excuse for something that's not really a very good one. Uh, I, I like to read sometimes these excuses of people uh, who uh, are, are saying why they've been in a car wreck. This, this one said, I, I like this one, coming, it said, coming home I drove into the wrong house and hit a tree I don't have. <laughs> Another one wrote, I thought the window was down but found out that it was up when I put my hand through it. The other one said the pedestrian had no, way, no, had no idea which way to go, so I ran over him. <laughs> this one says, I've been, I've been driving, I had been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep and had an accident. I would think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> and uh, my car was legally parked as it backed into another vehicle. I just kind of imagine how that happened. Now, Career Builders puts out a thing about people's excuses for, uh, that have been given to, to the bosses or why they didn't come to work. For instance, one of them when asked, why weren't you at work, said, I, I just put a casserole in the oven. I guess planning was not in this person's uh, forte. Another one said, I've been at a casino all weekend and still had money left to play with on Monday. <laughs> Another one wrote, uh, said to their boss, I woke up in a good mood and didn't want to ruin it. Another one told their boss, I got stuck in a blood pressure machine at the grocery store and couldn't get out. I I like this one. I caught my uniform on fire by putting it in the microwave to dry. Yeah, don't don't, don't do that. And and here's my favorite of all. I accidentally got on a plane. How do you do that? I accidentally got on a plane. Now, of course, for being late, uh, the, the, the typical ones are, uh, traffic and oversleeping, but I, I, one caught my attention as I read it this week. Uh, my hair caught on fire from my curling iron. Yeah, that would be a good reason to be late, I guess. Have you ever thought about our excuses? Excuses we make. You know, we find biblical people in the Bible making excuses. From the very beginning, Adam said, the, it's the woman made me do it. 
That was his excuse. Cain said, uh, I'm not my brother's keeper. When Saul broke the law by offering a sacrifice that he was not supposed to offer, when Samuel showed up, he said, you weren't here, and the people were upset, so I, I had to do something for the people. Saul was great at, at excuses when he did not do what God had ordered him to do, and, and Samuel confronted him. He said he, uh, about killing all the, the animals that were supposed to be killed, he said, we kept some in order to give them to God. Joseph's brother's excuse was that of selling him into slavery was he's a troublemaker. And Aaron's excuse for making the golden calf was we didn't know what happened to you, so we had to do something. And we see that at, at, the, great, at the great white throne judgment that people will make excuses there. When the Lord looks at some and says, depart from me, I never knew you, they're going to say, wait, wait a second, didn't we prophesy in your names and do work in your name? Didn't we do a lot of good things in your name? And others, when they're confronted, they'll say, when did we see you and not feed you? Or when did we see you and not give you water? And when were you in prison and we didn't visit you? We didn't, we didn't see that. And yet we know how all those excuses are going to play out. They're not going to play, they don't play out very well. How about ours? The excuses we make for not progressing in the kingdom of God and not growing as Christ would have us to grow. Well, we had a lot of ball games with the kids, and so we had to have some night at home. Uh, you know, we, we need to get the, the kids to bed at a certain time, and so, you know, we couldn't really push through with, you know, we had to get the kids to bed. You know, I'm a father of six. We had to get our kids to bed too, but some things are important. I've had people tell me, you know, I read so much at work, I didn't really want to read at home. These are our excuses for not pursuing. Now, let's get serious. I've, you know, hey, when I was a kid, our father abandoned us, and we didn't have a spiritual leader in our home, and I'm kind of bitter towards God why he let, us that, let that happen. Or I was abused. I don't understand why God allowed that happen. Or I was betrayed, or no one led me to church. Listen, as we bring this series to, to a close, I want to remind us today that all of our excuses are lame. Peter tells us that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need. If we'll be serious about pursuing him, everything we need is available to us for life and godliness. There's no excuse that works. We have a pathway to a new nature in God, one that brings life, one that brings hope, one that brings joy, one that brings peace, and you're supposed to be a bearer of that light in the world that we live in. God wants those things to resonate through you so that others will discover them as well. Remember, when something becomes a part of our nature, it becomes our default setting. The place that we go to when the pressure is on, this is what comes out of us, is what is in our default setting. When life isn't working, when relationships are, are troubled, when things are upsetting us, where do we run to? And God wants us to have a, such a touch of his divine nature in us that in the worst of times, we still reflect his glory.
We still show who he is. Now we've looked at the markers of growth for developing the nature of God that he would have for all of us. They're right here in this passage. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. If you missed any of the messages, you can go on to the Calvary website and you can pick them up and listen to what we've talked about in every one of those. But here's what I want you to do this morning. Imagine your life if those were your default settings. If you naturally love people and wanted the best for them. If you by nature, your default setting towards your brothers and your sisters was affection towards them, not judgment towards them. If our default setting inside of our life was this desire to be like God in character, patient, good, and kind. If the default setting in our life was to be steadfast, to hold on, no matter what's going on, no matter what storm is coming against us, that we just keep following after God steadily, day after day, with our faith in Him. What if the default setting of our life was to bring control to our life, not our flesh controlling us, not the circumstances of our life controlling us, but us bringing control to our life so that we were giving glory and honor to God? What if that default setting was to always run to the knowledge of God and to say, God, what would you teach me and what would you show me and what would you speak to me in the circumstances that I'm in right now? And if that default setting came back to the virtue, living a virtuous life, so that no matter what temptation came our way and what thing came our way trying to get us to sway from what God would have us to do, that we were a people of virtue and that ultimately we were a people of faith. Now, Imagine if that was in your life. Imagine if that was in your home. If everybody in your home was living that way. Every conversation was based out of these great growth markers of the kingdom of God and the divine nature was growing between us. What would happen in the church if everybody, if everybody in the church, if at the core of that church was continually growing with people who were determined to grow in the divine nature? who were aware of their own weaknesses and their own faults and were bringing control to them and growing in word and in action in the divine nature. And what would happen if there was a growing generation of people across this country that instead of giving in to the culture of the day was growing in the divine nature of Christ? The light would begin to shine, wouldn't it? It'd be a better place for all of us. Now, I want us to go a little further in this passage than what we've gone the last several weeks because I, I want you to see a couple of things. In, in 2 Peter chapter 1, we, we've read verse 8, but let's, let's read it again, and then we'll go on and look at a couple of other verses. He, he, he says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he, is that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. And if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this, for in this way, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, think about this for a moment. This is what it says: If these qualities are yours, if this implies that you can miss it, they won't be forced on you. The promises are there to inspire you. But you can miss these qualities in life. You can go without them. It's not for your good. It's for your harm. It's not for the kingdom's good. It's for the kingdom's harm. But you can miss them. They're not just going to jump on you and make you live this way. You've got to pursue them. You have to strive for them and work for them. And it's a worthy effort for us to look at our life and say, am I growing in the divine nature? I put my faith in Christ. I trust him. Do I trust him enough to let my nature be formed in him? And then he says this, in increasing measure. The implication here is that we will never arrive until we are free from here. We will never completely be there and completely possess the divine nature until we are in the presence of God. So every one of us, the newest follower of Christ to the oldest follower of Christ, is supposed to be continuing in this growth of examining their life and growing in the divine nature. So let's take a look at the at a couple of things. First, we're going to jump down a little bit further in this passage and look at the bad news. Here's the bad news. He says if the person, if we don't do this, if we ignore this, if we choose today to just kind of drift along in our faith and to kind of take it casually and just to kind of, you know, kind of go along with the flow of life and hope we make it to heaven. This is what he says about us. He says, first of all, he is nearsighted. What does that mean? It means that the desires of the sinful nature are still working in his life. He is still focused on here. He's nearsighted. He's still seeing just the things and the desires of his flesh now, and he's still caught. He's, he's making excuses to live his own way instead of really following after God's way. In fact, he is so nearsighted, he is blind. He does not see, first of all, the better life that it can be if everybody lived. He hasn't imagined what would my life be like if I lived the way the divine nature tells me to live. What would my home be like? What would my church be like? What would my world be like if, I, if other people began to live in this divine nature? He, he's so blind, he hasn't even begun to see that yet. And so he has no hunger for it. He has no thirst for it. He's just trying to get by. And he's so blind. He's so nearsighted that he's blind to eternity. He's a blind to what eternity is going to be like and what it's going to be like to stand before God someday. He's, he's blind. He does not see the better life. He does not see the eternal life. And the third bad thing he says is he has forgotten. 
there was a point of conviction. Do you remember that point in your life? A point of conviction where you knew that you were a person of a sin nature. And for every one of us, that sin nature works out in somewhat different ways. And the fruit of that sin nature comes out in our life in lying or in immorality or cheating or stealing or deceiving or trying to do other things to people, anger or frustration. But we come to this point where we recognize, if you've come to faith, that we are a people of a sin nature and we need to be forgiven of our sin and we need to be transformed into a new person. But this person, even though they've begun on that path, they have forgotten the path they've begun on. They, they've forgotten what they were called to leave behind, and he has settled into life trying to live as close to his old ways as possible and still making it into heaven. He's full of excuses about his old ways. He's full of excuses about why he acts or talks or lives the way he does and dismisses the things of God because he's nearsighted and he's blind and he's forgotten. Do you believe in the convicting power of the Holy Spirit? You know, this is one of the great things that God does for us. He, he convicts us. And when our hearts are open to him, he's easy to convict us. I, I've always told people, I would rather God be able to convict me by the whisper than by the shout. I'd much rather God be able to say to me, uh, you need to stop that, than for the fruit of that to be born in my life before I learn I need to stop that. Are, are you with me? And the way we hear the whisper is we're open to the whisper. We listen for it. And we don't listen for it for somebody else. We listen for it with the spotlight turned on us, saying, God, is there some place in me that needs to be changed? I, I want us to take just a minute in the middle of this sermon and stop and just every one of us bow our heads for a moment and just say, Lord, Turn the spotlight on me. Is there any place where I'm nearsighted, where I'm blind, where I've forgotten? Do that right now. Just take a moment right now. Father, I, I never want to stand before this congregation and give them the impression uh, that I've arrived. Lord, I know the journey I'm on, and you, you know the journey I'm on. I thank you for places of progress in life, and I see daily places where you want me to progress in life. And I look to you for your help and your strength. Now, Lord, I pray for the, my friends and my brothers and sisters here today that none of us would be excuse makers, 
For we know that all of our excuses will pale before your holiness when we stand before you. They'll pale before your greatness. They'll pale before your love and your mercy. So, Lord, today, Father, if there's a place where we are nearsighted, don't let us escape it. We invite you to speak to us right now. Father, if there's a place where maybe others have been trying to talk to us or you've been trying to speak to us, but we've been blind, Father, speak to us again right now. And if, Father, if we've forgotten from that which we've been saved and we're just trying to live our, a comfortable life instead of a life of divine nature, speak to us right now. And, Father, in these next few moments, I just pray that you would give us new strength and new health to overcome the old nature and to be formed in the new nature. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Let, let's take a, a, a moment and look at the positive things. Wednesday night, Ryan was speaking, and uh, he began to list some of the things we were in Christ, our identity in Christ, and, and, and who we are now. And, and I, I found myself sitting back going, wow, because I... I I had uh, begun a list of those very things as well for this message. And he talked about the fact that before we met Christ, we were dead. And after we met Christ, we're now alive. Uh, before we came to Christ, we were lost. After we come to Christ, we're found. Before we came to Christ, we were orphans. Now we're in God's family, and we are sons and daughters of God. Now listen. Before we were in Christ, we were in darkness. We didn't know the way. Now we are in Christ, and light comes, conviction comes. Maybe in some of your lives today, light came, and you get to choose to walk in that light. Before we came to Christ, we were weak. Now that we've come to Christ, we can be strong with the strength to overcome. Before we came to Christ, we were living in the meaninglessness of this world. After we've come to Christ, he begins to show us purpose and the reason that our lives exist. Before we came to Christ, we were slaves. After we've come to Christ, we are kings and priests in the kingdom of God. Before we came to Christ, we were in bondage to sin. After we've come to Christ, we are free from, from death and sin. Once we were, before we were in Christ, we were beaten, overcome in slavery. Now that we are in Christ, we are overcomers. We're supposed to be overcomers. There's supposed to be a new spirit in us, not a spirit of us being beaten up, not a spirit of us just holding on, not a spirit of us just weathering the storm. No, but a spirit of victory is supposed to be upon us. A spirit of determination is supposed to be upon us. A spirit that, that, that speaks inside of our heart that no matter what has gone on in your life, God has reason and purpose for your life. The enemy wants to keep you from knowing your identity in Christ. He wants you to remain trapped 
in the cultural upbringing of your life, whether that's our society, whether that's our family, whatever it might be. It might be a voice of rejection that has told you that you're rejected over and over and over again. He wants you to live there. It might be a voice of pride telling you that you're something. You don't need God. It's all the strength on your own, and the enemy wants you to live there. He wants you to be led. He, he wants you to be led by by. God's rejected desires instead of God's accepted desires. The rejected desires that cause brokenness in us. The rejected desires that cause emptiness in us. The rejected desires of our life that cause pain for others. He wants you to live there the rest of your life. But God wants to lift you out of that muck, out of that mire, put your feet on solid ground, and let your life begin to be a life that brings healing to your own spirit and to others. Prince, just open your eyes. I mean, I can't, it's, it amazes me. We, if people just open their eyes and look at the world, the world is a mess. Lives are a mess. Homes are a mess. The world's a mess because it's rejected the divine nature and grabbed a hold of the corrupt nature and continues to walk in it. But not us. Not the follower of Christ. Not the one who's determined to be formed in the divine nature. Jesus wants us to have life to the full. He wants your life to be full of the power of the Spirit that overcomes the world. He wants your life to find the empowerment, the blessing of God moving in your life. He wants you to become an overcomer, not controlled by the corruption that once touched your life, but in victory, shining like a star in the darkness. Friends, we've heard the negative. Let's look at the positive. Here's the promises that come to the person who determines to grow in the divine nature, who determines the rest of my life is going to be spent seeking to grow and to increase in the person of Christ in my life. It's going to grow and increase in knowing who Jesus is, and my life is going to be formed in his image. Listen to what he says to us. He says, first of all, you will be effective. The person who grows like what does that mean? That means that the things you lay your hand to, the callings of your life, the purposes of your life, the places where God plants you, it's going to work. It's going to be effective. Your home is going to find the light of God shining in it. Your spirit is going to find the light of God shining in it. You're going to sense a sense of purpose and meaning that comes from God because you're walking in the middle of God's will. Your ministry callings are going to be effective. They're going to work. Your testimony, your influence, it's going to be for good. He says, but you've got to be growing in this divine nature. If you have the standards increasing, listen, they will align your desires with God's desires. And when your desires get aligned with God's desires, when you begin to hear God's dreams, when you begin to see what's really important in life instead of pursuing what isn't important in life, you're going to find your life to be eternally effective. Until that, this happens, 
we are working for the wrong goals and the wrong purpose. We're trying to accomplish things the wrong way. We may have right ideas of what we want to accomplish, but we're trying to accomplish them in the corruption of the flesh instead of the power of the Spirit, and we're going to stumble every time. The, it, it's, it's not, the means do not you know, justify the end. You can't get to the end if the means are wrong. Are you hearing me? We will be ineffective when the means are wrong. He says, here's the second promise. They will keep you from being unfruitful. Your efforts will produce. Do you remember the, the promise, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas? Train up your child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Here it is. You're going to be fruitful. It's going to be right fruit. It's going to be good things. Whatever it is in our life, the right fruit is going to come to bear. But here's the requirement. The promise in this is you have to be increasing. You have to be growing in the very nature of God. I, I want to tell you, there's something powerful in a home, moms and dads. There's something powerful in your friendships. There's something powerful that happens in the places of influence, whether that's work or any place else. When people begin to recognize the changes going on in your life, when they begin to see your nature before their eyes being changed, when they begin to see the testimony, you say, well, I was, I was saved. I'm, I'm saved. They should see the nature. You know, what, you, know what the, you know what really draws attention is when they see us changing when they see us being transformed. Not that we're just the same person we've always been, but when they see a new love come into our life, when they begin to sense a new affection coming from us, when they begin to see the, new, the character of God living in our lives in the good times and the tough times, when they see that growth in our life, that just, that just fertilizes the field for growth in their life. And we become more effective and we become more fruitful because of the way we're living our life. Wherever you're at today, whatever place of influence you have today, if you want to be the most fruitful in it, grow in the divine nature. Begin to increase in the divine nature. Get hungry to be formed more and more with every word and every thought and every action. If you want to be fruitful in those places, if you want to be fruitful in the lives of your grandchildren or your children or your, your buddies you run around with or the people you hang out with at school or wherever it's at at work, begin to grow. Begin to be formed in the new nature. Here's a part of the promise that I really love. It says if you're increasing... If you're increasing in these things, you will never fall. This implies, first of all, that you can fall. But it also implies, the, the word here also implies, not only we won't, will we not fall, it means we won't stumble. Now let's get this clear. This doesn't mean that everything's always going to go easy for you. But this means like the running back running through a line, and they hit him, and instead of just falling down, he bounces off and keeps going. 
That's what your life's going to be like. Your life's going to be the unstoppable back that nobody can tackle because you are growing and increasing in the things of God to the point that whatever comes your way, whatever storm happens to you, because you are increasing in the divine nature, the strength of God is in you, and you will never, ever fall. Your testimony will remain true. Your life will, meet, will, 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 will remain bright. You will continue to make progress in the kingdom, and the goal line is just ahead. And so the hunger, how do I get there? I get there. I, I, I don't jump from here to there. No, I, I begin to progress towards there. And as I'm progressing towards that point, God is protecting me and every step's making me stronger and the enemy can't make me fall. Because my hunger's in the right place. My vision's in the right place. The place that, the place that you are, are supposed to hold Maybe a new place is supposed to be found. Remember, we put the verses in, in place. We put the n numbers in the verses. So listen to this, verses 10 and 11, without thinking of the, of the numbers. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent by, to confirm your calling and election. So be, the, be diligent. To confirm your calling and election. Are you a serious follower of Christ? Be diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this you, were, you will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's talking about our calling and our election. He's talking about our salvation. He's talking about our eternity in Christ. And he's telling us that if we stay true to growing in the divine nature, that we will never fall from that election. We will never fall from that position if we stay true to growing in him, that we begin to solidify ourselves in Christ. He says in this way, it will be what way? In growing, we will be richly provided with the things that we need. Why? For entrance, entrance into where? Into the eternal kingdom of Jesus. This is an eternal kingdom, and there's only one way to enter it. You can only enter it by faith in Jesus. But once we enter it, we don't want to fall from it. We don't want to stumble in it. We want to continue to grow in it. We want to continue to shine brighter in it. We want to continue to be more holy in it. We do that by growing in the divine nature and discovering what that is in our life. Several times, Jesus points to people who come before God at the great white throne judgment, only to be shut out. He talks about these people who come before him, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And they go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> Didn't we do some good things in you? 
Didn't we prophesy in your name and didn't we do this and that and the other? But you know what? They did stuff, but they never let stuff be done to them. They never were transformed. And he talks about these people who stand before him, how all these people are before him, and God begins to separate the sheep from the goats. And he says to one group of them, uh, I was hungry, and you didn't do anything about it. I was thirsty, and you ignored me. I, I, I was in prison, you didn't come and visit me. And they're standing there going, When? When? And he says, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And then he looks at another group and he says to them, I was hungry and you fed me. I, I was thirsty and you gave me water to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. And they're astounded too. They're going, When? When did we do that? See, they did that out of the divine nature. They did that naturally. It was their default setting. That when somebody had a need, somebody needed water, somebody needed food, somebody needed something, their default setting was do something for them. They didn't even recognize and know that they were doing it under the Lord. They just did it because their nature had been changed. And Jesus looks at them and he says, what you did for the least of these, you did unto me. Come and enter in to my kingdom. One group departed. Why? Because the divine nature wasn't there. And the other group welcomed. Because, see, faith is supposed to build, supposed to drive us to build the divine nature in our lives. So we need to listen to that. We need to pay attention to it. We need to watch it carefully. Not just doing it by rote. Because listen, you can do it by rote. You can, you can give to it. In the next couple of weeks, we'll make a faith promise to missions. And you can do that because, oh, I'm supposed to. Or you can do that because your heart beats with the divine nature. You can see somebody in need and you can do something about it because you're supposed to. Or because it's the natural default setting in your life. One group did it for one reason, and one group did it for another. And they said, well, did we do all these things in your name? And he said, yeah, depart from me. I never knew you. But friends, if we had that divine nature grow in us, we will never fall. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's stand together today and let's pray. Father, we come fearfully and yet boldly before your throne. Fearfully, Father, for we know the nature that we are made of. Boldly, because your Son has opened the door for us to come and stand before you. Lord, fearfully, because we know we can be trapped in nearsightedness and blindness. Father, joyfully and boldly, because we know we can be effective and productive. So, Lord, we just pray today as we wrap up this series that a hunger in this body would grow. That we would not want to be the same person we are today, tomorrow, or the next day.
that we would want to grow in you, that we'd be hungry for your word and hungry for your truth. And Father, submitted to the whisper of your spirit in our heart, help us to walk in the wisdom and the direction of your word, we pray. Touch us, Lord, in Jesus' name. And move in this church, Father, to be a people who are growing in your divine nature. We ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come down. As every eye remains uh, closed, every, every head bowed for just a moment. You know, all of this starts, friends, with this thought. I want to be really, really clear with you. You're going to stand before God someday. You, you're going to stand before him. And the great news that we have for you is this, that when you stand before him, you can stand before him completely, totally his because of the work that Jesus has done in your life. But listen, there has to come a point in time in your life where you recognize that and you receive Jesus to be the Savior of your life and the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, I want to give you that chance to do that right now this morning. If you just say, Pastor, I need to surrender my life to Christ as my Lord and say, I want to put my faith in Him. We just right now just raise your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to receive Christ in my life this morning as my Savior. Anyone here this morning, you'll raise your hand and say, pray for me today. Lord, in Jesus' name, speak to every one of our hearts. I'm giving you just a moment. So I want to make sure my heart is right with God. Father, you know the condition of every life in this room. And Father, we come before you this morning and just ask you to do a work in every one of our lives and let us grow in you. Father, if there's one here today that's not surrendered their heart to you, I pray that before this day is over, they'll ask you into their life to be their Lord and their Savior. They will not waste another moment, another hour. And for those of us who've asked you into our life, Father, we, we're so grateful for your patience and your mercy. The Lord continue to call us to grow in you and show us, lead us in the places you would have us grow in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close this service by opening this altar today. If you have a